We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, it's Alex from the Guilty as Charged podcast crew, and I'm here to talk about Manscaped. Just like an NFL game, your balls need to be clean. What happens when your balls aren't clean? I don't know. Joshua Kelly fumbles, Philip Rivers interceptions, deflate gate, you name it. Using the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, you can groom to your heart's content. Their trimming technology is the best in the biz, and you won't catch a suspension for cheating. Personally, I love the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs. Whatever you want, Manscaped has it. For 20% off your first order, use code GUILTY at checkout. It supports the show, but also supports your grooming habits. That's the most important thing. We care about you. Again, that's code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Now let's get to those Los Angeles Chargers. Hey, Charger fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. Joining me as always are my esteemed co-hosts, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start today with you, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just finished that uh, mock draft. Uh, so, yeah, taking J.C. Horn at 13 as it currently stands. <laughs> and some people were happy about that and some people weren't. It's definitely become a very interesting conversation, you know, because of J.C. Horn's pro day, which... I mean, like, it, it's funny because if you watch, if you really watch J.C. Horn's film, like, you knew he was a high-level athlete, right? And, like, you knew that Patrick Sertan was also a high-level athlete. And so, you know, it, it's just funny how, like, pro-day narratives shift things. Like I, like, I did the poll today of, like, who would you take between Christian Derrissaw and J.C. Horn, essentially, uh, and Patrick Sertan. And it's wildly in favor of, of Horn. So it's a little interesting there. Um, but that's another conversation for another another day. Tyler, how are you doing today, man? 
I'm doing well. Thank you for calling me esteemed. I appreciate that. And <laughs> for those of you that were left tackle or bust, you most of you are just busting right now. So I'm not really sure what happened to that whole thing. It lasted a good 30 days, but I guess we don't care about Justin Herbert. Oh man, like I don't know. I I, I can like I said like a few episodes. Like I can certainly see the Chargers moving off of the offensive tackle route just because of how you know deep this class is. Or maybe they'll do what they did last year and trade back into the first round and grab a guy. So we don't really know. But still for me, like, you know, I'm not the biggest Christian Derrissaw fan in the world, but I would be thrilled with that pick because it means that they're investing in the offensive line at a pick that they should in the first round. So, again, that's another conversation. Uh, we did have a little bit of news over the weekend. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Kyler, Kyler Fackrell news that broke while we were recording, um, but we wanted to discuss that a little bit. Uh, Tyler, you did uh, another mini breakdown like you did on Ode Abuji. Uh, what was kind of your main takeaway after watching uh, Kyler Fackrell and doing that breakdown. He's a big guy. I think he's 6'5", 250 something. Um, I think he's really good against the run. This reminds me, I'm not saying because he's white, but he is white. It reminds <laughs> me of Jarrett Johnson back when the Chargers okay. signed him in 2014 or 13, whatever it was. So that kind of presence who you're not counting on to be that incredible edge rusher, nor a true starter, but someone who can come in, be that veteran presence and take care of, take care of business. And I think that's great. And if I've not watched any of him on special teams, but if he's as good at finding the football on defense as he is on reverse that, if he's as good at finding the football on special teams as he is on defense, he'll be a good special teams player for sure. Yeah, um, I think he's going to be a great special teams contributor. And like they really need special teams contributors ever since yeah. Adrian Phillips and Derek Watt and all those guys kind of left. They've really just been looking for those guys. And so he'll mainly be a contributor there. Uh, and you know, he does have good pass rushing ability. Like, you know, yeah. you don't luck your way into 10 and a half sacks that he had in green Bay in 2018. Not saying he's going to do that on the chargers. Uh, I think he's much more like a three, four, five sack season kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> the sad thing about this pass rush is if you put Kyler Fackrell on the chargers last year, he would have been third on the team in sacks with four. Um, <laughs> so that's just, you know, the state of the anemic pass rush, but uh, I think he'll be a solid contributor, and yeah, that's that's really all it is to it. He'll rotate in whenever and Wosu or Bosa, uh, one of those guys needs a break, uh, and I think he's a great, you know, kind of clutch signing. Yeah, it's definitely a value signing, and his, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that's the veteran minimum for the amount that they got him. So, uh, him and Ode Obuji will not count against the compensatory pick formula, which is huge. Um, due to their due to their salaries, and so it's a good signing. Like I think I'd rather have Fackrell than you know Isaac Rochelle as much as we all liked Rochelle the play or the person rather. Um, I, I'm totally okay with Kyler Fackrell as the third or fourth pass rusher. Uh, I still think the Chargers should and will draft an edge rusher in the in one with one of their top 100 picks. Um, it's just you know you cannot have enough pass rushers, and especially when you do switch to. You know, three, four defensive scheme. I know they've said repeatedly, like, it's not going to be always be the three, four front, but like they need more athletes and they need more bodies, frankly. So uh, I do expect them to add a pass rusher. The other news, which it was really interesting to see this happen on Twitter the other day, was the signing of Chase Daniel. There were a lot of people that, you know, the sky is falling because Easton, Easton stick was a wasted pick and, and, you know, Chase Daniel's a bum. And like, what does this even do? And, and I don't really understand that logic at all, man. I mean, I'm, I thought that he was a, a fine backup target for the Chargers. You know, at this point in his career, you know, you're not bringing him in for 
on the field, what he does on the field, you're bringing him in for what he does off the field and, and his knowledge and familiarity with what the chargers are probably going to be running with uh, Joe Lombardi. And he was in Chicago with Brandon Staley as well. So he's got that relationship. And really that's the main thing is you want to be able to have somebody who can kind of mentor both Justin Herbert and Easton stick at this point in their careers, because, you know, stick has played in, you know, what 60 snaps of NFL football, if you count preseason. So his ability to mentor these guys is going to be, uh, it's a big part of what this team does. And if Easton stick beats him out in, 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 in training camp to be the primary backup, then so be it. Chase Daniel, uh, his role will still be, that off the field mentor. And honestly, like the chargers have two more years to figure out what Easton stick is uh, and signing chase Daniel does not impede them from, from developing him into the backup of the future, which is what they drafted him to be uh, two years ago. Hey, don't forget. He has, he had two pain management snaps against the Jaguars. (laughs) That was the actual quote from Anthony Lynn. Um, but yeah, I think this is the right move on kind of a number of facets. It's just like one, you get a guy that knows the Lombardi system and knows, uh, you know, the quarterback coaching room and how that works with him. You know, it was in new Orleans for eight years. Um, I think his breeze is back up from 2010, to 2017. So I think it takes pressure off of Easton stick for one, because you're not having to throw Easton stick there as your last ditch yeah. option in case Justin Herbert has to come out for a snap. So I think that's a good thing for Easton stick in his development. He has two years left on his deal. Um, and for all you Easton stick people out there, like it's, it's this simple beat him in training camp. I don't know. Like just yeah. do it. I don't know. Show if, if Easton stick has developed so much from that 2019 preseason, he can show it to us in the three preseason games he'll have this year. Um, so there's that, but I, I just was never comfortable with Easton Stick being the primary backup as much as, you know, there was like a cap emphasis behind it because like, okay, don't pay a backup quarterback and you can pay other positions. You know, Chase Daniel costs one and a half million dollars. He's not yeah. mm-hmm. preventing you from signing any other players. Um, I think he's a good veteran backup, knows Lombardi system, and that's a good thing for Herbert to have uh, as a mentor. I, I don't know if he really needs someone to teach him how to play quarterback but it's easy to just have a guy there where you can bounce things off of them. Uh, I think that's a good, uh, you know, kind of weapon to have for Justin Herbert. Uh, and as far as Easton stick, you know, people have been talking about using him as a Taysom Hill, uh, which I just absolutely detest. Uh, but I, I think he still has another year after this year. Uh, if they do go with chase Daniel over him, but he could still win this year in the quarterback battle if he does show himself and he can keep improving. You know, I really just don't think there's any negative to this, whether you're an Easton stick truther or not. Yeah, I think the Chargers under Telesco have sort of traditionally kept a developmental guy as a third quarterback on the roster behind a more yeah. uh, established veteran. So you had Rivers, Whitehurst, and then Sorensen, I think they drafted in 2013. Then you had, you know, Rivers, Geno Smith, Cardell Jones, who they traded for, Rivers, Taylor, Stick, right? So now you have, you know, when that was Herbert, Daniel, and Stick. So I think that's always just something that Telesco has done. And I'm fine with that. I think fans, like, I think they were complaining about this being a wasted pick, but you don't just develop quarterbacks in the fifth round with no second preseason in like two years. That just doesn't happen. Not every guy is going to be, you know, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, or whatever. The other thing is, you know, while Brandon Staley is his influence is going to be obvious and felt very much so on this offense, he's not always going to be in that quarterback meeting room. It's not just his job to sit there and teach Justin Herbert. He has a defense to coach too. 
And so having someone who he can, whether it be relaying messages to or help teach Herbert this or whatever, that's also a veteran to also guide him in that quarterback locker room or the meeting room is uh, fantastic. So I think this is a great signing. Easton Stick averages one NFL snap per season so far. And that's just not enough compared to, yeah. I mean, honestly, at this point, almost any veteran quarterback would have been better because at least they can tell you what I did in this quarter or during this game where Stick can't tell you that. Yeah, you know, like I said, he can still return value as a long-term backup. And, you know, everybody kind of freaking out about you know, this is being a wasted pick. I mean, he was always drafted to be a backup quarterback. So, you know, this doesn't really change that. And he's still going to be a backup quarterback. It's just a matter of if uh, he is the backup. So uh, just a quick note, he, his, he was only in New Orleans for four seasons. Uh, he wow. was there from 2009 to 2012. Uh, and then back in New Orleans in 2017. So he had stints with the Chiefs and the Eagles in between then. Uh, and then after 2017, he went to the Bears for two years. And then last season uh, with the Lions. So he's he spent five seasons uh, with this uh, current coaching staff, but um, still plenty of experience to rely on uh, there for Chase Daniel. So, uh, guys, any other thoughts on Chase Daniel and um, Kyler Fackrell before we move on to our next topic? No, uh, I, I don't really have too many more thoughts. The only thing I just wanted to say was, you know, uh, like we were saying, it's just Easton Stick can still develop, show who he is, and it's not a wasted pick because I was looking at the guys that went past uh, that Easton Stick or went behind Easton Stick today, and it's like, am I killing myself that we didn't get Darius Slayton and Miles Gaskin? No. So <laughs> I don't right. really think it, it was too wasted of a pick. And, you know, the Philip Rivers retirement and the, the Justin Herbert factor weren't things that you could account for uh, in, in 2019 or Philip Rivers going to the Colts and then having the quarterback come in the first round. That's not something you could have accounted for then. Yeah, absolutely. So he was drafted as a long term developmental backup quarterback uh, and he can still be that. So uh, we do have a treat for you guys today. We do. Uh, Alex and I were able to interview Donald Parham over the weekend. We had a great chat with him. Um, about the coaching staff and Justin Herbert and his experience coming back from the NFL and, and how that has worked. Uh, so we will get to that right now and uh, give it a listen. All right, Chargers fans, welcome back. We are so happy to be joined now by Chargers tight end Donald Parham. Uh, Donald, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're doing great, man. We're so excited to have you and we're really excited about you know, your future and the team's future. Obviously, there's been a lot of change in Los Angeles, brand new coaching staff. Um, have you been able to connect with your new coaches and what has been your uh, first impression of the new staff? Um, I've gotten to connect with our uh, tight end coach and, you know, he's really, you know, down to earth and straightforward with, you know, what he envisions for me this coming up season. So, I mean, I'm really enjoying that, enjoying that. Um, what was your kind of experience in the uh, XFL like, right? Because you join that league, you become this superstar tight end, 360 yards, you're going off, and then the league shuts down. What was your whole thought process through that, all the emotions, and then, you know, eventually getting to the Chargers? What was all that like? It was definitely a fun experience. It, it was different in terms of, uh, like, professional football, you know, definitely because of the rules and um, facilities and I think you just cut out there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely a different experience. Um, 
the speed of the game is definitely different. And then uh, also just how you play the game to win is definitely, it was, it was really fun though, to be honest. And it was kind of crazy how it shut down all of a sudden because of COVID and, you know, it had a lot of people, you know, kind of like kind of missed an opportunity because the season didn't finish out. You know, a lot of people yeah. didn't get as much exposure as they wanted to. But I mean, it was it was overall a good experience for me personally. Um, how quickly was that process uh, and what was like the transition like? Because, I mean, the XFL shut down and then I feel like relatively quickly you signed with the Chargers. Did you have other teams interested in you? And what was that experience like? Um, I personally didn't, you know, talk to the different teams. It was my agent more so, but um, I heard there was a few other teams interested. Um, it was definitely, uh, honestly, it was more exciting than like in your face because it was like, okay, it was like once COVID hit, it was like, dang, what do I do now? But as soon as it was over, it was like I was signing with them. So it was, it was definitely a blessing in that aspect. Um, and how did it feel, you know, to finally kind of make an NFL roster, right? You were sort of on the practice squad in the offseason with uh, Detroit and uh, Washington. But, you know, with the Chargers, you finally make that roster. Uh, what, what was that feeling like? It was definitely a, a welcoming experience in terms of uh, how they made me feel in terms of coming into the building and, you know, wanting me to make an impact for their team. And so it was definitely just like a, a a blessing overall in terms of them giving me an opportunity to do what I can do. Um, I'd like to go back to your training camp experience for a little bit, because I imagine that, you know, Alex said you, you've been in a couple of training camps before. But was the training camp experience with the Chargers different? Like, did you have a moment in camp where you're like, all right, I know I belong here. I know that I can succeed here. And I think that I can make a name for myself on the on this Chargers team. I feel as though the Chargers training camp was just an overall better experience because I feel like the coaches staff as a whole, you know, well, mainly the offensive coaching staff, they believed in me more and my abilities. And so that was just where that kind of set itself a different, set itself apart from those uh, other teams. So, I mean, I, I was given a better opportunity, I feel like, and it was just, it was a um, overall just a blessing. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of change in the tight end room for the Chargers this year. Hunter Henry's gone right. to the Patriots. Uh, Jared Cook's coming in. How do you feel about the potential of playing a bigger role on this team uh, going forward? Uh, you know, I just take it for what it is and, you know, making sure that I'm putting my best foot forward, making sure that I'm, you know, being prepared. I'm getting prepared for that opportunity that I've been given. And, you know, having that experience come into the room from Jared Cook, it's just like, it's going to be a really something special this year. Yeah. What kind of things do you think you'll be able to learn from him? Because honestly, you know, I mean, we've only seen you, you know, on glimpses of the field, but your guys' game are, are, is pretty similar. You know, you're both taller, more athletic guys, uh, nimble with the feet, shall we say. What do you think you'll be able to learn from Jared Cook uh, this season and going forward? Um, just how to, you know, exploit the game in terms of getting, collecting as much knowledge as I can you know, perfecting my craft and all that kind of thing. Because at, like you said, like we're both kind of similar in terms of how we play the game. So, I mean, I'm just going to be just be a sponge this year and just uh, absorbing all I can from the guy. 
Uh, yeah, and I got to ask, what was your uh, favorite play of last season? Because you obviously had the big touchdown against the Buccaneers. Uh, you have that nice touchdown against the Chiefs. Uh, what was the moment where you felt like you had kind of uh, arrived in the NFL with a big moment? Yeah, it would definitely be that touchdown in uh, Tampa, you know, being home, like right up the road. You know, family couldn't come to the game, but it was OK because, you know, they're, you know, right. They were like 45 minutes away and, you know, they're always uh they're always showing showing me love from wherever they're at. And it was just special to come home and get a touchdown for my first catch. Yeah, man, that was that is that is pretty special because there was your first catch was a touchdown, and then Tyron's first catch was a yeah. touchdown as well in that game. So that must have been pretty special for you guys. It was. So I got to ask you, you know, kind of the, there's a social media trend. I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, a lot of Chargers fans call you Chicken Parm. Uh, Yeah. Is that, (laughs) did that nickname stem from your college days or or was that kind of just something that was adopted recently? No, that was adopted in training camp. I don't, I can't quite remember exactly when, but it was like right before we moved out of the hotel for, uh, for the regular season. So it was, it was just kind of like, I mean, okay, I guess I got another nickname. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it kind of stuck throughout the team and it just kind of spread like wildfire. That's awesome, man. What did you have a nickname in college? What was the nickname in college? I had a nickname. It was called Tree. I was Tree back in school. So <laughs> I, I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you talk about, we talked about the XFL and your experience there. You know, there's another Charger, Storm Norton, who was a you know great offensive lineman in the XFL. Is there anything specifically uh, from the XFL that you think prepared you in terms of going into the NFL? Um, just showing basically that I can compete with the higher level competition because that was always like the thing. And I guess everybody in the back of everybody's mind when I was coming out of college um, because I was at a D1AA, a smaller school. So it was just kind of like that, that you know, I guess – opened a lot of eyes to my abilities and, you know, made, and I made sure that I did whatever I could, you know, to dominate the league. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think that's, it, it's just such an important opportunity, right? And I hope that they're able to come back and allow guys like you and, and Storm to have that opportunity. So uh, what are you, what are your goals for this off season as you head into really your first full NFL off season, you know um, you know, it's going to be a really big off season for the Chargers in general, you know, coming off Justin Herbert's uh, rookie season, brand new coaching staff. Uh, what are you working on in this offseason? What are your goals for 2021? You know, I'm always trying to get faster, stronger, and just overall smarter with the game, you know, making sure that I'm prepared, healthy, and uh, making sure that I'm coming into camp, you know, making an impact so that, you know, I can uphold this standard that's been placed on me as of right now. So that's definitely my goal. Uh, you know, he mentioned Justin Herbert. What's the, what was it like playing with Justin Herbert in this rookie campaign? You know, you have the shortened COVID offseason and you have this rookie quarterback that, you know, <laughs> you didn't really kind of know much about coming into training camp. You know, what was it like seeing his uh, offensive rookie of the year campaign and, and being a part of that? It was it was just overall just exciting. I mean, the guy can really sling it. He's very smart and uh, he's he's gifted overall because for him to have to come in at such short notice and then just like flip a switch and ready to play. It was just, it was just absolutely insane to see it live and in person and, you know, standing next to him. So it was really a, a great experience.
Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, standing next to him. Are, are you really 6'8"? Because I feel like you tower over, you know, Storm Norton's 6'7", and Justin is 6'6". And I feel like I look at you guys, like, I feel like you might be pulling a little Kevin Durant and lowballing us a couple inches. Are you actually 6'8", <laughs> or are you taller? I think I'm like 6'8 and a half, maybe. <laughs> Not quite 6'9", but I am 6'8", for sure. Awesome, man. Well, that is that is fantastic. And we thank you so much for joining us, Donald. And uh, we look forward to watching you guys play on the field in the coming weeks or not coming weeks. It's football season six months away. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Donald. Thanks so much, man. And we wish you nothing but the best going forward. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate y'all guys. All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoy that. And again, thank you so much uh, to Donald Parham for taking the time out to uh, give his thoughts there. I, I thought that, you know, we, we had a good conversation with him. I had a good laugh about his height because I swear he's, he's taller than six, eight. I really do think that he's probably like closer to six ten. Um, but it is what it is. Alex, any other thoughts bef- uh, from our interview with Donald Parham before we move on to our next topic? Yeah, he's definitely KDing uh, his height, like <laughs> you said. And uh, no, I mean, I think he was pretty honest with us about all of his questions uh, or all the questions that we had for him. He was pretty, pretty brief to the point. Um, <laughs> I was just kind of surprised that I was like, hey, tell me about how like the XFL shut down. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I was thankful for the opportunity. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to get a little bit more, but maybe I'll have to wait for that XFL documentary. There we go. <laughs> so um, we're going to continue our draft conversations uh, for today, focusing on the tight ends and wide receivers. Um, we're really excited about this, these conversations that we're going to have in the coming weeks, uh, focusing on the draft. You know, this was something that we were really excited about planning. Uh, you know, the draft is my personal favorite time of the year. So uh, basically what we're going to do for the wide receivers today, uh, we are going to each pick a wide receiver that we are pounding the table for uh, on the first in the first three rounds, somebody that we think is going to return value and turn into a really good player. We're going to talk about players that we don't really understand where the hype is coming from or, or if they were tough to evaluate. Uh, and then we're each going to give a sleeper wide receiver in the later rounds, you know, day three kind of player who we think could uh, turn into something, you know, serviceable and, and potentially turn into a star player. Uh, and then we'll get to the tight end conversation after that. So uh, who wants to go first on their pound of the table receiver? Should we start with Tyler or Alex? Start with Tyler. Okay, Tyler, who is the wide receiver that you are pounding the table for? I cannot wait to hear this. Well, I mean, uh, I feel like you guys already know, so fine. (laughs) It's Elijah Moore, and I will pound the table for this guy all draft long. If he's there in the second round, I would almost overlook every need the Chargers had to take this guy, and there are a few players I would do that for. Elijah Moore is one of them. In terms of production, 1,200 yards in eight games. He put up 143 against Alabama and 227 against Florida which are the on the schedule. You want to talk about size being an issue because he's a slot guy. I see the sixth most missed tackles and the fifth most contested catches in the league and in, the, in college football last season. Is he versatile? Fourth most slot yards, fourth most slot catches, sixth most screen catches, ninth most, ninth most deep catches, seventh most deep yards. How do we feel about his hands? He has a lower drop percentage than Chase, Smith, and Waddle. Physically, he's actually an inch taller than Waddle. And weighs a few pounds more, and he just ran a four-three-four. So somehow, somehow, this guy with this production, his metrics, his measurables, all adding up, is projected to be a round two slot receiver. I just say that's honestly some bullshit. I get it that like he's a slot receiver, and maybe you wouldn't take him over someone like Bateman. 
But like, I will say with confidence right now, he's tied. Like, I would tie him with Walla for my third receiver behind Smith and Chase. Uh, more in the second round would be a freaking perfect fit for the Chargers. I would love him on the team. I've loved him since I watched him. Steven saw him first. He had a huge, high grade on him. I'm like, oh my God, who is this guy? Yeah. And then I, and then, you know, it's just one of those times where you have to message the two guys and say, oh my God, you know, Elijah Moore, like, <laughs> that you were right. Yeah. Um, I, I love Elijah Moore and I, I, wherever he goes, I hope he succeeds because I think everything checks the box. He checks every single box and I'm just, I love him. I hope he does well in the NFL. Man, he's he's such a fun player to watch, and I think he, uh, with all of that, I think he has the best hands in the draft. Like you yeah. watch him make these catches, and you know his quarterback will <laughs> turn him around the wrong way or throw it at his ankles, <laughs> and, and and it's no problem, man. Yeah. Elijah Moore catches everything, so I'm a huge fan of Elijah Moore. He would have been my pick if Tyler hadn't uh, chosen him first. So. <laughs> Uh, but that's okay. We'll get to Alex's pound the table player for the wide receivers. Uh, Alex, go ahead, man. Yeah, uh, I kind of like Anthony Schwartz a lot out of Auburn. Uh, everyone's seen kind of the, the crazy, you know, pro day he put up. He had like a 4.26 40 yard dash. He's arguably the fastest player in this draft. Um, I, I don't know if it's arguable even like, I think he just is, um, yeah. you know, uh, and so that gives people some pause. Cause it's like, well, John Ross was fast too. And, you know, you have all these other fast receivers, maybe that didn't pan out. Um, but when I watch his game, I just see something that's a little bit more dynamic. And like, I kind of don't agree with the comp of Tyree kill. Cause he's also like bigger than Tyree kill. Yeah. Um, but he can kind of be used in that way. Like there's Auburn using him in like end around plays, you know, just as the, you know, receiver straight up. Uh, and he kind of became more of a uh, intermediate receiver or developed into more of that in 2020. I think he had 41 for 440 yards uh, in 2019. And then he had 54 catches for 636 yards in, in 2020. So he, even though he wasn't putting up as many of those highlight plays in 2020, he was definitely, uh, still, you know, putting up production. Uh, he's just really fast. Um, and this, (laughs) you know, this Chargers team needs speed, but also, uh, efficient speed and yards after catch, uh, because you have someone like a Jalen Guyton or Tyron Johnson, who, you know, you'll throw like a, I don't know, 60 yard pass to, and they catch it. Right. Or, Or, you know, something like that. But Anthony Schwartz also led all the power five conferences in yards after catch right and that's a a kind of telling stat to me where it's just like this guy you know it's not just that he's going to run fast on a route and then catch a ball you know herbert drops in there he can do some of that production himself um and that's uh something that's telling to me kind of when i look at receivers not just speed but what are you doing with that speed uh so i really like anthony schwartz uh the draft you know position is all over the place on him i heard mel kuyper Mel Kuyper has said late first round, which is crazy to me. Uh, I've heard second, I've heard third, I've heard fourth, I've heard fifth. You know, he's all over the place. But for me, if you're sitting there third, fourth round, you know, probably third with the compensatory 97th pick or the fourth round with your first pick, uh, I think that that's kind of a perfect place to take him. Uh, I don't know if he'll make it that far. Uh, and the Chargers do have to figure out cornerback, edge, offensive tackle first. Uh, but I would really just love to see what Anthony Schwartz uh, could do in this offense that is that is in desperate need of a speed guy who you know not only runs fast but can create their own offense. 
Yeah, that's a really good call because, you know, we've kind of talked about the Chargers needing a variety, you know, as somebody who can come in and do a lot of different things. Uh, and I think Schwartz could certainly do that. The Mel Kiper saying that, man, like this wide receiver class is crazy, right? Because, you know, I just did my top 50, uh, laid it out on Google Sheets. I had nine receivers in the top 50, didn't include Schwartz, who was right there on, on the right there on the cusp. So, you know, that statement by Mel Kiper of, well, he could go in the late first or he could go in the fourth round it honestly could apply to like 12 receivers in this class. Like there are so many good receivers, this class. Uh, and I think Schwartz is going to be a fan is going to be a, a crazy one to, to keep an eye on. So um, my guy here is going to be Deami Brown from North Carolina. Um, everybody who knows me and listens to this show knows that I hate NFL comparisons. And I just like, I, I can't stand them. Like we, we talked about it for the quarterbacks, right? With Zach Wilson, being compared to Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers and like all this stuff, like how outrageous that is. But I could not help but see Devontae Adams when I was watching De'Ami Brown. Not the best athlete, not the best, you know, he's not going to run, you know, a 4-3 like all these other guys that we're talking about. But he's fast enough and he is such a smooth route runner. I think he's got the best release package in this class. He gets off the line of scrimmage super quick does not mess around and that's a huge deal in the nfl you see a lot of guys with release packages in college who really dance take you know half a second or a second to get off the line of scrimmage and get out of press diami doesn't mess around and he can beat all the routes he can be all the coverages excuse me uh and he averaged 20 yards a catch he had eight touchdowns this season which you know given the supporting cast that north carolina had the fact that he almost had 1100 yards and eight touchdowns like that's outstanding production for him uh, and I'm just a huge, huge fan of his. It took me a little bit to get there um, because, you know, the first couple of games that I watched of his uh, were against Florida State. And he he had a good game against Florida State. But I did feel like Asante Samuel Jr. really kind of shut him down a little bit. He still had 56 yards and a touchdown. But uh, it took me a little bit to get there. But then you watch him put up 240 yards against Virginia, 160 yards against Miami. And you're just like, damn, this guy is a big play threat waiting to happen. And he didn't get a ton of yards after catch abilities because they had Daz Newsome and Michael Carter, who kind of really did that. But I do think that he'll be able to to develop into a very well-rounded receiver. And again, second round kind of player. I think he's going to be a fantastic wide receiver in the NFL. I cannot wait to see where he goes. I hope that he does not go to a place like New England, who just cannot develop wide receivers and don't have a quarterback. I really hope that he goes to a place with a quarterback who can really push the ball down the field. Uh, and get the most out of him because I do think he's going to be a great deep threat in the NFL. Uh, somebody who can develop into a true number one receiver, which is something that, you know, when I'm looking at all these receivers, their grades kind of, they're not dependent on this, but if I don't think that they can develop into a wide receiver one, like a true, mm-hmm. you know, lead guy, then I'm not going to give them a high grade. And I do think that De'Ami Brown could absolutely develop into a true number one target for an NFL team. Yeah, no, he has all the makings of a complete receiver. I think he blocks in the run game. He has a variety oh, of yes. releases and true deep speed. I don't think his route running tree is as like variable as one would want from a complete receiver, but yeah. the nuance of his releases and then his subtle moves on deep routes, it hints that he's he has some sort of capacity for learning and developing, developing a complete route tree. Yeah. You know, his speed's no joke. You talked about the Florida State game. I don't remember who was covering him at the time, um, but there's one play where a corner was playing too far off of him and he caught an easy out route, no problem. The next play, the next play, I don't know if it was the same corner. The corner played him tighter, and, and De'Ami Brown just burned him deep. Yeah. So to have that variability in what he can do, I think is really outstanding. So, yeah, another player I like for sure. 
And that's the thing too. Like uh, I was listening to uh, Mac Brown's uh, press conference for his pro day this weekend. Uh, and that's something that he talked about with both Diami and Daz Newsom is that both of them really take pride in blocking it. And you see it on film, you see them pushing guys down the field and making plays for Javante Williams and Michael Carter. So uh, both of the Carolina receivers, I, I'm a big fan of both of them. Um, all right, let's talk about people that we don't necessarily understand the hype about or, or that were a little tougher to evaluate. Um, we'll start with Alex on this one. Who, who's your guy here that you kind of just can't really wrap your head around? Um, Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. Uh, so he was someone that opted out of the 2020 season. And when yeah. he opted out, he had kind of like a first round grade from some people. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, back then I was like, all right, let me watch the film and see what this guy is. And like, whatever I watch him, I'm like, okay, well, he's not really good at picking up yak and he doesn't really separate and he doesn't really have good movement and he's not fast. Um, I don't know. He kind of reminds me of like, what if Chase Claypool wasn't athletic (laughs) or, (laughs) um, you know, to make a comparison, like he's like shorter mike williams um and that's kind of what i see when i watch him and you know he he is gonna be like that deep ball threat kind of like mike williams is uh i do think he is you know he put up like 11 touchdowns uh in 2019 so you know like he can get he could be a red zone guy i just don't really he doesn't really give me a good comp to, to anybody when i watch him and i'm just like meh I mean, you know, yeah. I think on, you know, the draft network right now, he's 135th ranked prospect. So that kind of means like third, fourth round. Um, and I just don't really see, and you know, it'll, it'll depend on his pro day too. Cause you know, if he runs a fast 40, that's what <laughs> will get the people talking. Um, but he's not particularly like quick, elusive. He's kind of like the opposite of everything you just said about Deami Brown. <laughs> um, so like if you need a big body in your offense, that's kind of okay. Yeah. But I just don't think he's a very valuable receiver, uh, especially in a league where you can just go get plenty of guys that are over six, three. Yeah. That's a tough one for me as well, because, you know, people are still talking about him being like a third, fourth round pick, like you mentioned. Um, and like, <laughs> It's not even that he's like a big athlete either. Like, you know, Mike Williams, you know, the thing he does is the jump balls, right? Like Surratt just kind of boxes people out. And like, that's how he wins. It's like, he just kind of, you know, like Antonio Gates would kind of just box people out and like, just bully them kind of like a post player in the, in basketball. Um, but that doesn't work in the NFL, man. Not as a receiver. If you're a six, five, 270 pound tight end, like, yeah, that works. But you know, not as a 210 pound receiver. So I don't get Sage Surratt much either. Um, the player who I recently bumped him up, but I don't understand the hype around Rondell Moore. I just don't, you know, you look at his passing chart and he had like three catches throughout his career that went further than 20 yards in the air. So his route tree, like it could certainly develop, right? Like you could project him to be a much more well-rounded wide receiver, but I, I kind of look at him as somebody that should make a switch to running back. Like he's built like one. He doesn't have a diverse route tree, uh, like a like a guy like Elijah Moore who can do everything. You know, Ronald Moore can't do that. And so he's all screen passes, slants, hooks. Like it's all yards after catch for him. And that's fine. I think he, he could have a role for that uh, for sure. I just, 
you know, people are, are saying that like the Packers should take him in the first round and like, or the chiefs should take him in the first round. And I, I just don't see that, you know, the NFL is really moving in either direction of like versatile receivers who can do a lot of different things, you know, like everybody kind of, <laughs> I forget who it was, but she put this tweet out of like all these terrible comparisons to Tyree kill and people comparing Rondell Moore to Tyree kill. I just think that's kind of an, you know, not that I care about this, but you know, Tyree kill is so diverse as a route runner and what he does on the football field, you know, cause he can beat you deep. He can beat you, you know, doing an end around, he can beat you on a slant. He can beat you all the, with all these intermediate routes and Rondell Moore can't do that. So I think the comparison to Tyree Hill really is just, it's kind of disrespectful to Tyreek and, it, and it's just not, it's not there for me. So Rondell Moore, I think he's a very, very good gadget player. Uh, but that's all he is, in my opinion. I'm not, to, I'm not spending a top 100 pick on him uh, unless I absolutely have to. And like, there's nobody else there on the board that I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm the guy who said the Packers should take him in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I didn't know that was you. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> only because I think that would just be a lot of fun and that Rodgers, for God's sake, someone sure. get Rodgers a weapon. Like, for the sure. love of God, please don't not take another quarterback and then a glorified fullback back-to-back. Please. <laughs> you know, I don't care if they take more. But I get it. I, I'm kind of hoping that he gets the NFL and someone puts him in a system that just works. Uh, but otherwise, what you didn't mention yet is obviously the injuries. And for that reason, yeah. I would definitely not take him in the first round. I think the Packers should take him because it's fun as hell. But I don't. I wouldn't actually take him. If the Chargers are picking at 30, 31, 32, I wouldn't want them to take him, especially yeah. when there's other options on the board. All right, Tyler, who's your guy that you kind of can't wrap your head around? Cool. Can't wait to piss off Chargers Twitter. So I almost <laughs> went with Jalen Wall just to piss everybody off, but I'm not. So I'm going to go with a guy that Pro Football Focus has a, currently a third-round pick projection on. That's Jalen Darden out of North Texas. Yes. I don't hate the player. I just kind of hate that projection. And, you know, I posted a video yesterday of him against Louisiana Tech where he basically gets open four times the same play almost. And the defense still did not cover him over and over again. And, you know, I I never want to scout the helmet of the player, but I am allowed to take competition into account. And in my opinion, the competition he faced was awful. Yeah. The Houston Huskies. The UTSA Roadrunners, Louisiana Tech. Hi, Bobby Holly. Um, you know, his toughest <laughs> competition was what? SMU, you know. Yeah. Look, on the field, his best attributes, you know, his lateral quickness and his shiftiness, they show and they are easily his best attributes. Yeah. What I'm concerned with is that 40 time where he only ran a 4-4-6 where everybody is running like a tenth of a second faster. Yeah. Which means I think our eyes have tricked us into thinking that he's faster than he is in game because his competition is so bad. Yeah. So combine the awful competition, a surprisingly low 40 time, you know, being 5'9", 174. Guys, that's smaller than me, you know, and <laughs> I'm only having one year of production and he did not catch a single contested catch last season. I'm just lower on him because it doesn't add up. Yeah, that's that. That's a good call. You know, sorry about the delay there. I was thinking Alex would jump in, but, um, you know, I, I don't hate him. Like you said, I, I think yeah. he's he's a good player. I'm not taking him in the third round. Absolutely not. You know, if for me, if I'm taking like a, a smaller school, you know, I think I think really the biggest issue is people think of him as like a burner, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody looks, you know, somebody will look at him and think that he's somebody that will have, you know, an average 20 yards catch and like do all these great things deep. And I don't think that's him. He's not as much of a gadget player as Rondo Moore is, but he's mm-hmm. he's kind of in between. And, yeah. and so for me, like 
if you want a smaller school deep threat guy, like I'm thinking Dwayne Eskridge, who can do a lot of different things and not just, you know, beat guys uh, after the catch. And so um, I'm okay with the player. I, I just kind of disagree sure. with the evaluation. Yeah. Uh, and I would just much prefer, you know, other receivers in the third round. Um, all right. Let, let's talk about some, some sleepers of ours that we really like. I'll go first here. Uh, my guy is Josh Palmer from Tennessee. Um, if you watched, if you were able to watch some film from the senior bowl, you saw him go out and ball out. And so I was really intrigued to return to his film uh, and, and see what, what was going on here. And <laughs> the first thing I'll say is that his quarterback play was awful. Like if he, if you put him in a different situation, I think we're probably talking about a, a player who could, would be going much higher than, <laughs> than where he will go. Uh, kind of getting the Donovan people's Jones treatment with, from Shea Patterson uh, last year. So I think he'll probably end up going in the sixth, seventh round, uh, maybe the fifth if he's lucky. But I really like his skill set. I think he can separate really well. He's got a nice release package. Uh, and he's kind of – he's got really good size. He's got 6'2", six, 6'2 two, six, two kind of size. I think he, he's able to show off these jump ball skills. So I think he is well-rounded as a intermediate to deep threat kind of player. Um, I did not see what he ran over the weekend, but I'm pretty sure, uh, he had a, he had a really good day there. Um, Jim Nagy from the senior world thinks that he's a day two lock. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I'm really, I really like Josh Palmer as somebody who could come in, be a wide receiver three for your team, provide some value, uh, maybe be like a Tyra Williams kind of player who could potentially be like a wide receiver two in a pinch. Um, but I think he's a player that you could take on as a safe player, not as like a developmental guy who's going to bring a lot of risk to the table. I think he's he's an outstanding wide receiver three, wide receiver four option, and that's where he will go. Yeah, um, my guy to kind of go later in the drafts as a sleeper is uh, Amir Smith-Marset uh, out of Iowa. Uh, I think he's a really interesting prospect, mainly because whenever I watch Iowa games, well, one, they kind of have the same bad quarterback play, um, you know, stuff that's not – really conducive to obviously wide receiver production but they also really didn't use him right and they kind of have like a power running game sort of vibe so it's like it's not really you know the kind of offense where receiver is going to break out and put up huge numbers but uh he did test really well um athletically i think he had like a 9.4 raw uh, the relative athletic score um, I think he's just a really uh, solid receiver. He had like the fastest 10 yard split for, for a 1.44, yeah. like, which is a crazy number. Um, so I just think he, he has experience both in the slot and a primary boundary receiver uh, has a lot of kick return attempts and sort of like Joe Reed last year. Uh, he actually averages like 29 yards per attempt has two touchdowns on kick returns and um, so I don't know. He he gives me a lot of like Robbie Anderson kind of vibes uh, yeah, when I see him, that. and that's sort of that's sort of a receiver that I would kind of want on this team. Which is like, you know, he's not super fast, right? He ran like a four four three, um, but I think he's fast enough, and he can stretch the field vertically in a way where he gets yak and he does stuff. Uh, again, like kind of like I said with Anthony Schwartz, but to a different degree, he creates his own offense. Um, I yeah, my main thing with him is just I see him not kind of being properly used, and I feel like he's going to be one of those receivers where, you know, people say how how didn't we take him higher, right? And to me, it's insane that he's still like a six round pick 
on the draft network. Although I, I believe Tony Pauline on uh, pro football network said that there's some that view him as like a third, second round pick. So I don't know. That's, that's another one where it's kind of all over the place on him. Um, but I sort of, because of his versatility and the fact that you can use him in the slot, you can use him on the boundary, you can use him in special teams. I sort of view him as a, a much better version of last year's uh, Joe Reed pick. Uh, and I think that that can be a really intriguing pick for the Chargers if he really does drop to the fifth or sixth round and they haven't taken a wide receiver yet. Um, yeah, he's just one of the most explosive players that Iowa has produced in like a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a really good call. If you're a USC fan, you are very familiar with how explosive that player is because he just went down <laughs> and, and dominated the Trojans at the Holiday Bowl. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Tyler, who is your sleeper pick here? I just want to say, Alex, that sounds like a really intriguing guy. I have no idea who he is. Even uh, in terms of Palmer, I haven't even finished evaluating Palmer because I stopped watching that quarterback. I, it's I, so hard. It's so I hard. Couldn't watch, <laughs> I couldn't watch it anymore. So I completely get it. I believe he had a good senior you know, senior bowl or whatever senior yeah. practice. So, you know, that's great. Uh, I'm going with the guy we already mentioned, um, sort of. Not a guy. He's a, so pro football focus has him going in the sixth round. And I believe the draft never has him at like 150 something. So I'm going to go with Daz Newsom from North Carolina. That offense is so good. So like, much they're, fun. They're going to have four players drafted within the first like six, maybe even five rounds. Um, so I think he can be good if he fixes at least two things. It's catching the ball with his body. Don't do that. We have enough of those on the Chargers already. And then finishing <laughs> his routes. I think sometimes yeah. he has some good routes. Sometimes he has some lazy ones. But the talent is there. He has a 4-3. He broke 14 or more tackles in three straight seasons. He kind of reminds me of a slightly later round Amari Rodgers, I guess, if you can't get Rodgers because Rodgers yeah. breaks so many tackles. Yes. Although Rodgers may switch to running back altogether. I don't think Newsom's going to do that. But I see the talent that is there for Newsom. And for him to go up in like the fifth, sixth round, like he's sort of projected right now, I think that'd be a really good get for whoever gets him. That's a really good call. I, you know, I, I think everybody's kind of trying to find like their their version of Debo Samuel. Uh, and that's like, you know, there's so many slot receivers, gadget players, yards after cash threats this draft. It's kind of been like, the theme of the wide receiver class. Um, I think Daz Newsom would be, you know, kind of in that very similar mold. Um, and I do think like, you know, if you're giving me, you know, Amari Rogers in the late second or third or Daz Newsom in the fifth, I think I would rather just have Daz Newsom. So I think that is, that's a good conversation to have. Um, all right, guys, any other thoughts on the wide receiver class before we move on to our tight end topic? Not at 13. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The only thing that I wanted to say about Daz Newsom, if, if you haven't watched him play, go look up his catch on Duke where he just Randy Moss, the guy behind the back. Uh, one of the most fun things I've ever seen uh, a <laughs> college wide receiver do. Um, but yeah, also about Daz Newsom, I think he's a really good blocker. Yep. Um, and also the other the other thing with him, he does have some special teams value too. Um, has taken some punt returns, I think, for touchdowns um, and has returned punts you know, throughout his college career. So uh, something to consider there and that's something I like to see in a lot of college receivers where I go you know are the Chargers going to draft this guy I do want to see some special teams value because it's like sure I don't want to bet the whole yeah. season on you know does Nasir Adderley you know pick up where he left off on kick returns in December don't think he will so you know you may as well have a couple backup plans oh sorry about that Stephen died 
Nope. I had I got a notification <laughs> and I saw a Colts picture and I, I was thinking it was Malik Hooker, but it was the thing about Bob Sanders. So um, not Malik Hooker. Um, but that is a good <laughs> that is a good point, Alex, because you know these wide receiver threes, fours, and fives, like they have to play special teams, and so you know that yeah. really is a, a big thing to take into account. Um, all right, let's get to our tight end topic. Obviously, there's not a ton of tight ends. You know, this tight end class is, is not great, so we're not going to do the same kind of format here. Um, but we wanted to have a conversation about who the tight end two is. Uh, and Tyler kind of pointed this out today uh, with a Tommy Tremble versus Brevin Jordan kind of conversation. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about Brevin Jordan here. This is kind of going to be a Brevin Jordan segment uh, and how he compares to the rest of the class because, you know, it, it still kind of seems that Pat Fryermuth from Penn State uh, is kind of the perceived tight end two of this class. Uh, and none of the three of us agree with that. We all have Brevin Jordan as tight end two. Um, Tyler, I feel like, is the biggest fan of him. So I'll, I'll let him go first here. Uh, why do you like Brevin Jordan so much? Uh, and kind of what do you see his potential being in the NFL? I think it comes down. Everyone knows who he is as a pass catcher. I don't think I have to explain that or prove that to anybody. But I think people underrate him as a run blocker or a pass protector. Like I think yeah. he's a legit blocker as well. And I think people are forgetting that. Like, yes, Tommy Tremble does get that spotlight. I know, Steven, you're a fan of someone whose name I totally forget that you might mention later. You know, a couple of great blocking tight ends. But I think Brevin Jordan can also do that work really well. Jordan Reed was on with the Chargers the other day talking to Chris Hare. And he was talking about how you get someone like Brevin Jordan and you have your John U. Smith. And he, he said that Brevin Jordan would help you I think revolutionize your passing attack. And I think just that at tight end, which is exactly what the Chargers should be looking for. Yeah. I think that just makes him uh, the best prospect. The reason I don't have Pat Firemuth higher, if you nickname yourself Baby Gronk, I expect you to block <laughs> better. Yes. Not, not I don't know if he gave himself that nickname, but I didn't think his blocking was as good as it should. Like Gronkowski's a really good blocker. Oh, yeah. You know, we saw that against the, the Bucks and the Chargers last season. And I didn't really think Firemuth had that. So when all said and done, if you're kind of the same blocker as Jordan, even if you're slightly better, but Jordan's the superior athlete and pass catcher, I'm taking him. So he's my clear cut tight end too. I don't think it's really that close. Yeah. And for me, like the Pat Frymuth, like, I, yeah, I don't think he's like a good blocker kind of at all. Like he, he was kind of <laughs> supposed to develop into that like a couple times and he just never really did. Um, you know, so there is something to be said about like vertical you know, kind of, you know, catching and stretching the ball down the field. I kind of think he's more like a Hunter Henry than he is a Gronk. And I don't mean that in a negative way, although, Absolutely. yes, I do mean that in a negative way. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, he also, I think, did have a shoulder surgery that he had and that kind of forced him to end his season. So, yeah. you know, you have to pay attention to the medicals there. Um, but just like, being a bad blocker isn't what this Chargers team needs in particular because Donald Parham is still developing as a blocker. Steven Anderson's not really a blocker and Jared Cook's not a blocker. So you, if you're going to draft a tight end, I think you need someone like Brevin Jordan, who at least has that athleticism and can develop into it. I think you need someone like a Tommy Tremble or a Hunter Long. You know, I, I just don't think Pat Fryermuth is really the best fit. Um, which is why, you know, in some systems he might be the tight end two in this class, but I think he's kind of a particularly bad fit for the Chargers. Yeah, he is. And, and you know, Pat Frymuth is much more of like a a traditional tight end in terms of like what he can do as a route runner. Like he he's a solid route runner, 
but he's not going to be the kind of player who can stretch the field or, you know, give you a ton of yards after catch. Like he, he's kind of, you know, the Hunter Henry comparison is fair to me because he's, he's a solid player at a different amount of things. Like I think he's a decent blocker. I don't think he's a a high level blocker like Hunter Henry is, but he's a solid route runner. He's solid after the catch. He's solid at the high point, but you look at Brevin Jordan and I love that Jordan Reed said that about him because He's he is a really really good athlete, and their pro day is on Monday uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. So I'm really interested to see what Brevin Jordan puts up because I think he's a, a crazy athlete. And so, you know, I, I right now, so we we have grades out of eight, like that's kind of our number um, and that we kind of decided upon, and that's kind of what the NFL has been doing recently. Um, so Brevin Jordan for me has a six point six grade. Uh, he is in my top fifty. Pat Frymuth has a 6.1 and is not. So I don't think it's all that close either. This kind of conversation. I just think the way that the NFL position is trending towards tight ends, you know, guys like Pat Frymuth are, are, you know, the days of the past. And, you know, that's kind of another thing that we could have talked about with Hunter Henry is like, you look at where this tight end position is going. It's trending towards being athletic positions who can really cause mismatches, split out wide, split into the slot and play in line. And Brevin Jordan can do all of those things. I, I like Brevin Jordan a lot. Um, you know, I think if he's sitting there at 47 and the Chargers took him, I would completely understand that because you want to talk about a player who could potentially develop into a true, like, top five tight end in the future outside of Kyle Pitts, it's Brevin Jordan. I, I don't think that Pratt Firemuth or Noah Gray or, or Hunter Long can really ever be that. But I do think Brevin Jordan can come in maybe in a couple of years develop if he's put into a right situation and be a top five tight end because he's a great blocker and he's a great, great athlete. Yeah. And as, as far as like the baby Gronk thing goes, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I sort of think that, you know, cause he gets that cause he's like six, five, two fifty. Tommy Tremble is like six, four, two forty seven. Uh, and Hunter Long is 6'5", 250. So, like, I kind of think both of those guys are more, yeah. they're better blockers for sure. I don't know if, you know, I, I kind of think they're also both a little bit more dynamic. Um, and so that's where, you know, if, you, if you're comparing a tight end to Gronk, um, yeah, like like Tyler said, I think you just have to be a better blocker. But also, yeah, like the, the Gronk archetype, I think, is something that's becoming, you know, a thing of the past. And I think... Over the next 10 years, you're going to see more Kyle Pitts come out yeah. where it's just like, OK, this dude can line up a receiver. He can do everything we need him to. And he's just, you know, this, you know, kind of weapon X on offense. Um, and that's sort of well, where I think the position is headed. And, you know, there's a lot of tight ends, both in this draft and probably in the next couple drafts that are sort of just, you know, they don't fit that uh, sort of archetype. Yeah, you know, you look at what like Travis Kelsey has done and, and what Kyle Pitts is going to do and Darren Waller, like that's that's the future of the NFL and George Kittle fits in that as well. Just, you know, get plus size athletes and help them develop in as blockers and route runners uh, and then, you know, figure it out later. And I like, listen, I like Tommy Trumbull a lot. I think he has some good potential. I think he's a really good blocker, uh, but he had 19 catches last year. So like, let's pump the yeah. brakes a little bit. You know, there was this one uh, poll that had... <laughs> Uh, Tommy Tremble and Brevin Jordan were both on the board at, at 77 and, and Tommy Tremble was getting the majority of the votes. Uh, that is blasphemous. Like that, that is so, so bad. And Brevin Jordan yeah. is so much better of a prospect 
than Tommy Tremble is. And, you know, I think Tommy Tremble, like he's going to be a, a positive blocker in the NFL. And if he were a pick on the Chargers, I'd be very happy because of that skill set. And they need that skill set. But like I said, you know, I don't see a world where Tommy Tremble is a top five tight end in the NFL, whereas Tommy, uh, as Brevin Jordan, does have that kind of potential. And he has that track record, right? Like he was a very, very productive player at Miami. And Tommy Tremble has 35 career catches. So uh, let's pump the brakes a little bit on Tommy Tremble, please. I like Tommy Tremble, but I would much rather have, this is not quite fair, but I'd much rather have Johnu Smith than elite Virgil Green. Like I'd rather just go with you know, Johnny <laughs> yeah. Smith. And then 100%. Hunter Long, I can't get behind him either, honestly. Like he just looks like, he looks like Hunter Henry. I can't get out of my head. Yeah. And like, why would we add another guy? Although he would be much cheaper. He would be. Hunter Long is a tough evaluation for me as well because like I was, I was hoping that he would go down to the senior bowl and be like the guy, like be the tight end. Uh, and it turned out to be Trey McKitty who had six catches at Georgia last year. So uh, I just, I just like for the reputation that Hunter long has like on mm-hmm. Twitter and social media and stuff like that, I, I was just kind of hoping for more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I, I think him and Pat Frymuth are really like, honestly, very similar in, in terms of like evaluation and, like we've talked about, I just don't think that I don't think that's the future of the tight end position. Yeah. Uh, and if you are taking, you know, Brevin Jordan or sorry, no, if you're taking Tommy Tremble over Brevin Jordan, last me. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> cool. Welcome. Yeah, you got to you. Get my last year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll get my contribute. There we go. <laughs> that was that was weird, but it's all good, man. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about some sleeper tight ends because the Chargers do, I think, will be in this kind of market. Uh, as much as I think Tommy Tremble could be a pick, I, I think it's more likely after the Steven Anderson signing that the Chargers make a move as like a developmental slash blocking tight end. So listen, my, my favorite blocker in this class is Dylan Schoner from Iowa State. Um, he has zero, zero upside as a pass catcher. <laughs> um, just really kind of slow and doesn't really separate. He's got good hands, though, uh, and he is big. But as a blocker, man, I think he's exactly what the Chargers kind of need as like a sixth, seventh round pick who can come in and really just set the edge effectively uh, and, and really, like the biggest thing with a zone scheme, like you need tight ends who can hold their own against edge rushers, either on the front side of the play or on the back side of the play. And I think Dylan Schoner has shown that enough on film for me to be comfortable with him. Uh, and then once you get him up against linebackers and safeties, he's super, super physical and he really finishes at a high level, which is what I, I love to see uh, out of tight ends who block, who are specialists in that regard. So Dylan Schoner is, is a bit of a sleeper. I, I posted a couple of clips about him on Twitter. I think he's a fantastic blocker, uh, but again, zero upside as a pass catcher. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Um, <laughs> I'll go with, uh, I'm stealing, I'm, I have one guy I'm just going to steal real fast from Jordan Reed, and that's Pro Wells, the tighter from TCU. Guess what? I watched absolutely zero of him, but he's a former <laughs> basketball player who didn't even try football until his senior year. Jordan Reed likes him. So, hey. Some guy to check out. And there we know go. about guys who played basketball who switched to tight end. Uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name unless he's Spanish. Uh, this is Tony Polian or be Polhan. This... <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, from Virginia, this guy's 6'7", 265. Parham is 6'8", 237. Uh, he played quarterback in high school. He threw and ran for a total of 116 wow. touchdowns. Was named the Michigan Gatorade Player of the Year. He also played basketball. 
where he scored over a thousand points in high school. He had offers to play quarterback in Minnesota, Michigan State, and Nebraska. He signed with uh, Central Michigan. We played some games at quarterback, threw for 703 yards, and then switched to tight end. They eventually transferred to Virginia, and he had 38 catches, 411 yards, and six touchdowns this past season. Everyone pegs him as you know, the traditional tight end to run blocking guy, and rightfully so because he's freaking massive. I'll be honest. I think people are selling him short. I actually see him trying to run some decent routes, and, and they're good for a guy his size, which kind of makes sense because he's a, he was a quarterback who ran for 58 touchdowns and a former basketball player. So he's a really intriguing prospect and, you know, projected late day three pick. Why not take a guy who's 6'7", 265 and just have the 6'8", Parham and the 6'7", Polyan, however you say his name. That was big old white Danish Viking, whatever looking guy. You know, <laughs> have him out there. And I think that'd be uh, pretty, pretty cool. What a wild backstory, man. I, yeah. I, because I, I watched him, you know, I watched the same game that you did where he, he basically bull rushed <laughs> a, a safety for a touchdown. Um, yeah. but that backstory, man, as that high level of an athlete, that's an interesting, uh, developmental tight end right there. That's that is, uh, Alex, who is your sleeper tight end that you want to talk about here? Uh, I like Kylan Granson quite a bit out of SMU. Yeah. Um, he had a good day. He had a good time at the senior bowl, uh, sort of get, did some good work with when it came to one-on-ones on linebackers and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, but you watch his tape and he's kind of like the day three version of Kyle Pitts. <laughs> um, which doesn't sound like a good thing, but he can line up from a lot of positions. Um, doesn't quite have, you know, that level of athleticism, like a, you know, first round talent, but I think he can create some mismatches uh, over the field. Again, this is kind of one of those things where it's like, well, he plays in the American athletics. So, you know, it's not the best competition, but it, you know, it's not North Texas either. Um, so I, I do think there is something to that. Uh, so I don't know. I, I like him. He it does, isn't the biggest guy, which is also why I think he's not uh, going to get drafted high. But I think he can get to the second level decently. And, you know, we're talking about kind of day three guys anyway. If you really haven't drafted a tight end at this point and, you know, because you wanted to fortify quarterback and offensive line and edge and all those needs earlier. Uh, he's a guy that I wouldn't mind in round five, round six ish. Yeah, I thought that he had a really good senior role. Honestly, I felt like him or Trey McKitty were, were the best ones down there. So uh, that's an interesting one. Definitely more of a pass catcher than he is a blocker, which, again, is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he does yeah. have the size to to be able to develop into that. The last one I want to bring up here uh, is John Bates from Boise State. He is a very good blocker. He's not the same kind of blocker as a Brevin Jordan or a Dylan Schoner, but he is a good blocker. Um, but he's got a ton of reps on special teams. Uh, and that's re- like, that's kind of an underrated aspect of being that third tight end is you got to be a special teams player. Um, and that's really what gave Steven Anderson the most trouble last year was, uh, him being terrible on special teams. So, um, I did not research his backstory. Um, but you know, Trevor or Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak said that he was a high level track athlete in high school, uh, as I, I want to say like a hurdler and a javelin thrower or something like that i would have to double check that sorry i should have definitely checked that beforehand but um i do think that john bates is a good blocker he's a good route runner um and i think as like a six seven round pick again you know with that special teams experience could be a fit for uh what the chargers are needing at this point yeah another guy i like that i'll just mention is uh, luke farrell who in some of my mock drafts i've grabbed in like the sixth or seventh round uh he's a good blocker has good hands and you know he doesn't 
care a lot about like getting a certain amount of targets in the offense and, and doing all that. So if you're kind of completely sold on like, Hey, we're going to have these four tight ends, you know, cook Parham Anderson, I think he can be sort of your, you know, Virgil green in training um, a little bit. If you don't want to re-sign a Virgil green or a veteran uh, just to get a guy that's a, you know, kind of pure blocker and can catch if he needs to. Absolutely. Tyler, any other thoughts uh, on the tight ends here? I kind of wish they had kept Hunter Henry just so I didn't have to watch a bunch of tight ends on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching a bunch of sixth and seventh round former basketball playing tight ends. I'm like, what am I doing? Oh, man, this tight end class is, is rough, man. It, it, it's not pretty. So I think that's kind of the general consensus for tight ends in most drafts. You know, you, you pretty much always have like one or two guys who are like studs, and then it's just developmental guys who you hope can come in and, and contribute. So uh, not a great tight end class. Um, Kyle Pitts is my only first round grade and Brevin Jordan is the only other tight end in the top 50 for me personally. Um, but I, I please stop selling Brevin Jordan short because he is a special, special talent. In my opinion, I think he's going to be a really good player in the NFL. All right, so I guess that's it for this episode. <laughs> Love those awkward silences at the end. That's the beauty of Zoom, am I right? So um, we are going to do our, our next mock draft coming up, so make sure and keep an eye out for that one. It's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, and then I think we only have like eight more episodes after this until the draft actually comes. So um, keep an eye out for all this content, you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go and do that. Uh, and thank you so much. Alex did a great job of, of, of showing his support for you guys uh, and subscribing to our channel. It's been a great experience for us. And, and we hope that you guys enjoy the content that we are pumping out as well. So that'll do it for us. Stay tuned for the next episode. And again, we appreciate you guys so, so much. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.